You're listening to Extra Takes, hosted by Northland Church lead pastor, Dr. Joshua Laxton. Tune in each week as Pastor Josh reveals the rest of the story behind his sermons. We'll discuss how those who follow Christ can live out a biblical vision for the church in the world today. Well, good morning, Bridges of America and our brothers and sisters at the Seminole County Jails. We have a special video for you this morning, and so it's just me and Pastor Gus, and you have sent in some questions, and we just want to spend some time answering them and really spending some quality time together. Just just before we begin, I just want you to know we are truly, truly grateful for you all. We truly see you as an extended part of Northland's family. In fact, I've even been able to meet several who have come through, uh, whether it's Bridges of America or the Seminole County Jails, and I've been able to personally meet them. And it really, truly does warm my heart to be able to put a a face and a name together to know that they have been joining with us. And so thank you so much for being part of the Northland family. And so with that, Gus, I'm going to ask that if you would just uh, pray for us, and then we'll just kind of dive into some Q&A. Thank you, Pastor Josh. I'm looking forward to this, so let me pray for our brothers and sisters. Father, we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ that can break every barrier and every place. But more important, we thank you for your word that can go to people wherever they are because your word brings transformation. Thank you for our brothers and sisters and these questions that we form the basis of a Bible study. As these questions are answered, Father, it will be going back to your scriptures. So we pray that our end goal will be change and transformation. Mm-hmm. We take place in our personal lives and the spaces in which we are. Mm-hmm. And Lord, you will receive all the glory in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. 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 Well, Gus, I'll just kind of let you take it from here, and you, yes. you guide our time together. Well, brothers and sisters, thank you so much for sending in these questions. We even try to put them in a category. Now, some of you, you've been following us, but I'm going to start off with a question to Pastor Josh, because there was a question here that someone sent in, Jonathan. You said, when did you realize God chose you to fulfill a purpose. And with that question, you really need to talk, Pastor Josh, about your calling. I can see, when did you know you are called? I know you've said other things at church that I'm going to listen. If you don't mention those, I'll come back and mention it. Tell us about how you know God called you and chose you. So I will be 41 in a couple of weeks, and I sense this call. Now, when when that was happening, I, you know, again, I didn't know how to articulate it. Yes. But when I look back, so it was when I was 15 years old. I, re- I actually remember the evening, and I actually remember what was going on in my life. Like, my youth pastor had really invested in me and discipled me. Yes. And he became someone I really looked up to, and he was actually fairly young in terms of ministry years. He was uh, in his young 20s. He was going to college, but investing Mm. in students. And I I really see that as God using Shane Hartsfield to actually call me. And I I remember the night, it it was a Sunday evening, and I had just spent all week at a student camp where God, he is— 
obviously speaking to me. I'm there singing, uh, being taught the word, engaging with friends. And that Sunday evening, I just I just felt this this tug. Yes, uh, that I I need to go express to my pastor and my my youth pastor that I really sense that the Lord's calling me into ministry, even though I don't even know what that means. Right. And right. so one of the ways I actually, from from a biblical standpoint, I understand that call. Mm-hmm. Is there's a passage in scripture is found in the Old Testament. It's in First Samuel. There was a lady uh, whose name was Hannah, mm-hmm. and she really wanted a child. She did not have a child, and she was begging the Lord for a child because part of how people looked at you then is that you you needed to have children in order to be in high standing in the culture. And so here she is. She's aging, uh, no children, so she's begging and pleading with the Lord for a child. Eventually, the Lord answers her prayer, and she has a child, and she names him Samuel, and that she dedicates him to the Lord. Well, so Samuel is now going to grow up in basically the church. So in the Old Testament, they called it the temple. But he has he has the pastor, whose name is Eli, who's, who's pouring into him, investing in him, uh, raising him, actually, because, again, he, he had been dedicated to the Lord by his mom. Wow. And so when he's a young child, he hears this voice. And he thinks it's Eli calling to him. And so he goes in to Eli's room and says, hey, Eli, did you call me? He's like, no, boy, go back to sleep. Like, man, like, quit interrupting me. So Samuel goes back, you know, gets in bed, goes to sleep. Here's the voice. Did, did you call me, Eli? Sucker, please, like, quit messing with me. And so, go, you know, like, and then the third time Samuel comes and Eli's like, well, the Lord is talking to you. Just say, here I am, Lord. Here, here I am, your servant is listening. And so so it took him a while for him to understand that it was the Lord calling to him. And so when I look back at 15 years old, I really sensed that the Lord was calling me uh, to ministry. Now, I had no idea what that was. And so for years, I would be obedient in following him and what I did know. So that's where I went to school and I got a uh, got a college degree, but it, the focus was in biblical studies and then operations management, which is why I love leadership and <laughs> organizational leadership. Then I went to seminary, and all along the way, God is making that call even clearer right. uh, to where it really then began to hone in on God has called me to be a a pastor, and even then, a, a senior or lead pastor yes. to uh, lead. Others uh, to lead the the church, and so so that's a kind of a longer kind of I would say reasoning behind where where that that calling came from. Well, I thank you for that because you made it clear that the calling was a relationship you had with God, yeah. and you gave a very good biblical example with Samuel, Hannah, and all of the people who were in that environment, and your training. Yeah. So along the way, you had the assurance that you have been called, and you walked on that. I even remember you've been said before that my calling was, I think, age eight, when you trusted Jesus yes. as your Savior. Yeah. And then now at age 15, the direction for the rest of your life, God was making it clear. What can you say between that age eight when you trusted Jesus as your personal Savior, yeah. and now there you were at, at 14, 15, a calling, and today? Yeah. So 
Yeah, when I was eight, uh, you know, I remember, I remember the day that I talked with my pastor, and he led me to faith in Christ. Which uh, faith in Christ is, is simply this confession mm-hmm. uh, that you are a sinner. Uh, that you repent, that you change your your mind from living your own way yes. to now living God's way. So repentance is simply just means a change of mind. So when I was eight, I did have a change of mind, change of heart that I really wanted to follow Jesus, that he was going to be Lord over my life. I realized I was a sinner, that he was my savior, that he was my Lord, king, uh, boss, master, ruler, all of those like synonyms. But again, as, a, as an eight-year-old, I mean, did I really understand all of it? Absolutely. Do I still, even about to be 41, do I really understand all of it? No, I'm, I'm growing. Yes. So I can actually look back from the moment I was eight and confess Christ as, as Lord and Savior to 15. There even was a lot of progression and growing in my understanding of faith. So I remember when I was like 11, 12 years old, I was at this children's camp. And that's why I'm a really big proponent of camps and getting away. And maybe some of you need to kind of look at yourself season of your life as a camp. And you're like, I hate this camp. I, maybe so. But, but this is a really good time for you to focus. Yes. Uh, and, and so camp for me was a time to really you know, focus, commune with the Lord, focus on what he was telling me. And so I remember when I was 11 or 12, where uh, the, the Lord really spoke to me uh, to take me a little bit deeper into what it meant to be a follower, a, a, a follower of Jesus. So I really have – I actually have notebooks from when I was 11, 12 years old from how I would just read God's Word. I would write down verses that stood out to me. I would write down what, what, what I thought they meant and how they would apply to my life. And so that, that took me a little bit deeper into my discipleship journey where now as a 11, 12, 13, 14-year-old, I'm reading God's Word and allowing God's Word to read me, uh, to change me, to transform me. And so, so that's how that progression came. And, but then that, that never stopped. And it even never stops now. So because I'm wanting now, now that I'm, I'm much older, uh, hopefully and prayerfully wiser, more mature in, in my faith, now I understand that discipleship is learning what it means to be human after the image and likeness of Jesus. And so therefore, now, every area of my life, my relationships, how, how I'm a uh, uh, pastor, but but even more so how I'm a husband, how I'm a father, how I engage other people. Are, are those relationships that I'm engaging in, am I looking more like Jesus as I engage in those relationships? Uh, work. So uh, yes, vocationally, I'm a pastor, and, and we do have a very large staff here. Mm-hmm. But a question that I'm constantly asking myself, am I leading like Jesus? Because I know that if Jesus was personally physically here. Now, now he's personally and spiritually here, yes. but if he was physically here leading, we know that he would be leading towards health and flourishing. So I'm constantly asking myself, am I leading in a way that is reflective and representative 
of Jesus. So that's my vocation. And then stewardship, Mm -hmm. you know, how I steward my time, my talents, my treasures, how I, you know, steward like even the fun things that I do. Like, am I, am I bringing all of those under the lordship of Jesus and, and using again, my time, my talents, my treasures, my recreation, my free, like again, free time and all that. Am I, am I using them in a way that is reflective of how Jesus would use them? Because again, there would be a balance to there. There would be a, a, a good, healthy, perspective of those things in my life of are are they consuming too much time like so so those are now how you know ways that I really think about discipleship of allowing Jesus to really continue to shape and mold me in every sphere of life for his glory and others good oh thank you so much i think that has really helped with other questions that i want you to briefly respond so you knew for sure, you had a relationship with Jesus. People discipled you, and then you knew you were called to this ministry. Yeah, and, and I would even yeah, well, and I would even say too, uh, just even going back to how I knew I was called into ministry. Not only did I sense it, but what you just said, I want to make sure that yeah. that's clear: is that other people also saw it. Yes, and and it wasn't just a one time that they saw it. They they saw the growth, they saw the maturity, they saw how God had gifted me, and and so that's why you know churches they practice this idea of licensing into the gospel ministry. It's not, it's kind of like a license to drive a car, yes. you know. Like so so other people are along the way yes. that are leaders in the church. They're recognizing a call, yes. so so they're licensing you, going, hey, we recognize something's there, and so. That's why, like, to to be licensed, I could at at that point, I could, you know, in in some sense, you know, uh, I could preach, I could marry, uh, I, I marry people, I could so I could perform weddings, and then I could I could you know perform funerals. But then it was ordination where there was this now it was a stamp of approval. So a licensing was we're, we recognize God's doing something. We're going to watch you. Mm-hmm. Ordination was. We are now putting our full kind of a- approval and support behind. Yes, Josh, we sense that he has been f- been fully called into ministry. Now, again, some churches don't practice licensing or ordination. Uh, the church tradition that I grew up in did, mm-hmm. but it was a way to kind of solidify and validate what I sensed the Lord calling me into. So I want to be very clear that yes. there was other people that yeah. sensed the same thing, yes. and it wasn't just me going, hey, I want to be in ministry. Yes. No, it was other people going, hey, we, we recognize God is doing something there too. That is yeah. amazing. And as I look at that answer, so you knew your calling, and God chose you, and you're following that up to today. Well, some of our brothers and sisters listening to us, did we have a question then Because, Pastor Josh, I think you are living the purpose of your life. You've been teaching that here at Northland from the time, for me now, two and a half years, interviewed you. You know why we exist. What is the purpose of life? Not only what Josh Laxton had been doing, now we know your purpose. But what is it for anyone listening, especially to our brothers and sisters listening to? What's that? How can you respond? Yeah, so the simple purpose of life is going to be found in who you truly believe gave you life. Mm-hmm. Okay? Cool. So so whoever you believe gave you life, yes. ultimately, that that is going to be where you seek the purpose of life. So I'll give you a for instance. So if there are people that truly believe in evolution, that that life is random, 
then you are going to find random purposes in life. Because again, you don't believe that any, you know, you don't think any, any being or any one entity brought about, you, you know, you, again, you believe in evolution. Yeah. And so therefore there is no, no purpose, specific purpose. Everything is random. Yeah. And so therefore, if you truly believe that you were created by random acts or by happenstance, then you will have a happenstance type of purpose, mm-hmm. which is kind of where we see a lot of confusion today in the world. Yes. So where where I'm going to root my purpose in is actually what the Bible teaches, that God created the heavens and the earth. And then even in Psalm, the book of Psalm, we read that we were fearfully and wonderfully made. So I truly believe that I have been created by the Creator. And so therefore, my purpose is going to be rooted in my creator. So therefore, I believe that the Bible teaches that given the fact that God created me in his image, that idea of image is now to bring him glory, to to point to him. He is significant. He is weighty. He is what life is all about. And so therefore, I want to give him glory and I want to honor him. I want to please him. I want to make him happy. So so when you when you look at all of that, that's why I say the purpose of life is to glorify God by reflecting who he is in all spheres of life. So how I relate, how I create, and how I operate. So that's where I would even point out that. So the the idea of create is that that's a vocational idea, that we were created in God's image. And and three ways that we reflect God is in how we relate with others, how we create vocationally, taking raw materials and making something of it. And so when you look at engineering and teaching, when you look at the service industry, uh, when you look at even uh, parents uh, raising uh, their children, all of those are acts of vocation where you're taking raw materials and you're enhancing them and you're making something of the world, which is an imaging act of God because God created out of nothing and provided the raw materials. Now we take the raw materials, we make something of them for the glory of God and the good of others. So that's how we create and then how we operate, how we steward everything in life. So how we steward our time, our talents, our treasures, and everything in between. And so that is ultimately the purpose of life, that we were created to bring God glory. And the way we bring God glory is to honor him and to glorify him in the way we relate, create, and operate. And that's all spheres. And those three big buckets uh, over uh, you know, kind of uh, that they, they oversee all areas of our life as human beings. That is amazing. I think we also get to see that. You knew clearly what's the purpose of life. I like that line you said, your purpose is by who created you. Yeah. So now we know that God from Scripture, God is the one that created us and God is the one we live for his glory. By what we create, we operate. And in that sense, you're getting to live a fulfilled life. Well, friends, you are sending these questions. I hope you are being able to know that wherever you are, God's purpose, God's calling, God's calling you can be there. But what about this question that somebody sent in? How do you know you are talking to God? How do you know you could Mm. tell God something and God could hear you? How do you know that? And there's a big word in the church we call, maybe this person was thinking about prayer, you know, and that. But tell us a little bit about uh, Clark's question about how do you know if God is talking to you? And anything that relates to that. Yeah. Well, th- there's a there's a couple of things about that. Uh, for one, we know, we truly believe as as Christians that God has talked to us. 
which is why we have the Bible. So the Bible is 66 individual books, but I don't want us to look at the Bible as 66 individual books. I want, I want, I would love for us, as others have, have stated that the Bible is one book, but maybe 66 different chapters. And about 40 or so authors, and the Bible was also written over a span of 1,500 years on three different continents. And so there was a lot that went into uh, scrutinizing to to comprise the Bible that we have today. And we truly believe that the Bible is the Word of God that has been handed down to us from generation to generation. So we know, we truly believe, and we have ultimate confidence that what we have in Genesis through Revelation is God's word to us. So so we know that God has talked to us. So then the people would say, okay, so, well, the Bible doesn't, you know, specifically tell me exactly what to do. Like, so the Bible didn't specifically tell Josh, you needed to be a pastor, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. or I'm calling you to be a pastor. Like, yes. it, I, I didn't read anywhere in the Bible that says, Josh Laxton <laughs> will be a pastor. Like, no, I, di- I didn't read that. Yes. You know, so now you have to, you know, enter into this idea of discernment. You're discerning things. Mm-hmm. Now, so how do you discern whether or not God is telling you to do something that may not be specifically outlined in Scripture? Well, again, here's what we do know that's outlined in Scripture, to love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't have to worry about if God's told you to love your neighbor as yourself. He's told you. Uh, you don't have to worry about if God's told you to love your enemies. He's told you, if you know Jesus, that you are to love your enemies. You don't have to, you don't even have to pray and ask God if he's talking to you of how you give. No, uh, God loves a cheerful giver. You know, so there's a, there's a lot of things in scripture that God has already revealed to us. And so he's talked to us specifically about those things. But a, another example would be, who do I marry? Who, you know, or who do I date? Who do I marry? You, you know, like, uh, where do I live? Uh, you know, what, what, what do I do after this season of my life is over? Like, okay, you won't find that. So now you're going to enter into this, this, this season of discernment, and that season can be short. That season can be maybe a little bit longer, depending on, again, what you're trying to ask God for. But there's going to be, I would say, three particular things that you're going to need to do to discern mm how God is speaking to you about something specific that isn't outlined in Scripture. One, you need to make sure that you are in His Word, that you are digesting His Word in what He already has said, Mm -hmm. because He's never going to lead you in a direction contrary or against His Word. So that's number one. Number two, you're going to need to be in community with other brothers and sisters, because you're going to want to, if you're trying to figure out you know, what God specifically wants in your life, you're going to want people to speak into your life who also know Jesus because he works in community. So he works through his word, he works in community, and he also works in what I call spiritual disciplines or spiritual exercises. So you're going to want to be spending time in prayer, asking God specifically to give you wisdom and discernment for this this decision or uh, this clarity that you are 
you are seeking. So you're going to enter into a time of prayer. You're going to want to spend some time in silence and solitude mm-hmm. and just listening. And so one of the things that I like to do is to take a pen and, and, and pad. Like I have my, you know, I usually have a pen and paper next to me where I'm just kind of writing down what I what I sense the Lord is saying. And, and, and so with that, that, that's going to help help you get some things out of your mind that, that maybe the Lord has put there and give you a little bit more clarity there. So, so three big, big buckets in terms of discerning how God is speaking to you where the word isn't clear. Yeah. So the word, yes. because again, he's never going to lead you somewhere that's against his word. Correct. Uh, number two, I would also say where he's, where he is going to lead you is a place of growth. <laughs> and sometimes that place of growth isn't the place we would have chosen on ourselves. Or by herself, yes. uh, because sometimes he leads us in. Play, he sometimes he allows. Sometimes he leads us to environments of pain and suffering, so that he can do a work in our life. So, so again, just 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 know that as as you kind of work on discernment. So again, he'll he'll never lead you anywhere contrary to what his word says. Make sure you're in community, and even where where you are, you you can have Christian community. And then I would also say spiritual disciplines are spiritual exercises. So so you're lifting the spiritual weights of prayer, of silence and solitude, of listening to to people teach you the word of God. So you're being under the authority of of God's word by by being taught. Uh, you can you can also have the spiritual discipline of journaling, uh, fasting, where you're you're refraining from maybe eating a meal or two to really when you have those hunger pains you're you're immediately going to the Lord and so I want I want you to feel my physical hunger with with, with spiritual insight. So so those are three things that I would really encourage you to to do as you try to hear from Lord, hear from the Lord on on matters that that he doesn't specifically outline for you in scripture. So what we're hearing is really ways that you are teaching that right now are ways that we can know God's will. He's talking to us. Yeah. Because those disciplines and you are teaching that right here. So those of you who are listening to us, I hope you are taking note that what is God speaking to me? What is God saying to me even where I am? Yeah. Which leads to this question that somebody brought up. He said, how do I live in this world that is filled with chaos and confusion? You know, I live in this world. Now you've just told us that I can know God is talking to me by discerning community relationship in his word. Yeah. But I'm living here or where are brothers and sisters listening to us? How do I live in this midst of chaos and confusion that can I hear God? But how do I live? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, that's a really good question. And I love the word chaos mm-hmm. because what what's fascinating when – you read Genesis 1, in the, be- in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, yes. and the earth was, was dark, and it was void. And so what scholars, in some way of articulating the, the explanation of, of just the first two verses, is that as God creates, he kind of starts in chaos. Darkness and mm. void covered the earth. Yes. But then... What God's going to do in order to take that which is chaos and chaotic and bring to order, he's going to begin to speak into mm-hmm. the, the creation. Yes. So that's why he creates through his word. So 
when you think about all the things that are chaotic and without void, that's, there's no order, there's darkness. Again, without void, there, there, there's nothing there. There, there. You know, and so what God's doing in Genesis 1 is he's bringing order out of that which was chaotic. So first and foremost, how we can, you know, how we can know uh, God even in chaos because I'm, I'm looking how at how do I walk in? Yeah, how, how do you? Yeah, how do you walk? Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm looking at it again. Let's see. Um, how do I walk in faith with so much chaos around me? Yeah. So how? Yeah. So how do you walk in so much chaos with faith? So that's where you, you you've got to anchor yourself to the Word of God because again, going back to Genesis one. What you see in day one, God said. Day two, God said. Day three, God said. And what's fascinating is if you fast forward from Genesis, which was the first book of the Bible that was written by Moses, and then you fast forward, you know, uh, about uh, really almost about 1,500 years, then you have Jesus come on the scene. And in John 1, mm-hmm. we read that in in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So, so Jesus is the incarnation, the physical embodiment of God's Word. He's fully God. He's fully man. And so if we're going to walk in faith mm-hmm. in a chaotic world, we're going to have to focus on Jesus and God's Word. Yes. So a good a good example of this is Peter. So the the apostle Peter, he was one of Jesus's disciples. He was actually in the inner circle of Jesus. Jesus had three close disciples uh, among the the 12. Peter, James, and John. So they were his inner circle. So so Peter was his like chief of staff, right-hand man, best friend. So there's this scene and you can read this in the gospels. There's this scene where there's a storm that has come upon this lake. The disciples, they're actually in the lake. Um, and so after this kind of storm subsides, um, they, they actually see somebody walking on the water. Mm-hmm. And they're like, they're, they're really scared. They're, they're freaking out. <laughs> and... Jesus like it's me. Don't 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 be afraid. It, it's it's me. And then Peter says, "Well, if it's you, Jesus, won't you call me call me out and I'll get out of the boat and I'll come to you because again, they're seeing this figure walking on water and not sinking." So Jesus says, "Come on out." So Peter, he steps out of the boat, he begins to walk on water. So there's only been two people that I know of that has ever truly walked on water. And that is Jesus because he's God, and that's Peter because he was focused on Jesus as God. Well, so as Peter begins to walk on water, coming towards Jesus, you have the wind and the waves begin to crash mm-hmm. on his legs. Mm-hmm. And and I could imagine it's not just a little splash. I mean, because if it was just a little splash, he's not going to be that afraid. You, you know, it's like, uh, it's not, it's nothing. <laughs> but but undoubtedly, there's these huge waves that are beginning to almost like knock him over. Yes. And so he takes his eyes off Jesus and puts them on the wind and the waves. Mm. So when he takes his eyes off Jesus, what happens? He begins to sink. Yes. 
So he begins to fall into chaos because one of the cool things about Scripture, when you look at the sea, one of the imageries that the Bible gives to chaos and darkness mm-hmm. and, and, and like a lot of trials and difficulty is actually the sea. Because the sea can be very tumultuous. It can be very aggressive. It it can be very violent. So because now he's taken his eyes off the way, the truth, and the life, who's Jesus, and now he's shifted his focus to put it on all of the the tumult, all of the darkness, all of the chaos in the world, he began to sink. And so what it tells us is that we need to make sure that our faith is anchored in Jesus rather than taking our eyes and our faith and directing them, directing them towards what we are afraid of. Like I'll give you another for instance. So in a, in a couple of weeks, I'll be, I'll be teaching on Matthew 13, hmm. and it's called the parable of the sower. Yes. And so this sower, uh, which is like a farmer, he goes out to sow some, some seeds – uh, so that he can grow a crop. Well, so some seeds fall on one particular soil and the sun just, I mean, or a bird just comes and grabs it and takes it away. So it doesn't even have time to take root. Right. Then another seed falls upon this, this kind of soil and the sun scorches it. It doesn't take root. So yes. the sun scorches it. Yes. Then another seed falls upon really kind of rocky ground, thorny ground, Mm -hmm. and it tries to take root and it begins to grow, but the weeds choke it. Well, later on when Jesus is explaining this parable to his disciples, he talks about the cares of this world Mm. and the deceitfulness of riches choke the faith, choke choke our our faith in Jesus, chokes chokes it. It starves it. And, and it doesn't produce any fruit. Correct. And so, again, what we have to understand is that in a chaotic world, it is very easy to shift our focus out of a, a frame of faith in Jesus to a frame of fear in what's happening. Right. And so that's why, you know, faith is really, really important. So let me also share with, with you all, one of the things that I constantly teach here about faith is what it is. So faith simply means confidence in, belief in, and trust in blank. So from, from a Christian point of view, we're going to say that we have faith in Jesus. We have confidence, belief in, and trust in him that he is God, that he is Savior, and that he is King. And all of our faith is anchored into who he is. And then when you think about faith, faith can be actually broken down into five elements. So, so I don't want you to think of these as five different, different separate elements. They're integrated. Yes. They comprise the whole. Yeah. So the, the first element of faith is worldview, how you see the world. Mm-hmm. The second element is mission, what you believe, yes. what your purpose and mission is in life. Now, we just covered that, what yes. we believe about what our purpose is, to reflect God's glory. We, we want to we, 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 we worship him glorify him. 
Then the third element is actually in the center, and that's the person of faith, which is why I just said our confidence, trust, and belief in is in Jesus. Mm -hmm. Then you have ethics. So because your faith, who you believe, you know, who who you actually have confidence in, Mm -hmm. how you see the world and what your purpose is in life, all feed down into ethics of how you live in the world. So how you treat others. How how you forgive? How uh, you see the, the 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 role of marriage and 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 what is marriage? And so there, there's a lot again. How you live in the world. Then there are the exercises of your faith, things that develop your faith, things that strengthen your faith, things that give you more understanding of your faith. So those are five separate elements, but integrated elements to create the whole of what we believe about faith. So you're going to need uh, to uh, know, continue to cultivate your understanding of your faith so that... When the world is chaotic, when the world is chirping all of uh, things that might be deceitful and confusing, you're stabilizing and anchoring in your faith in Jesus. So I love that explanation there. So we are talking about I can focus on Jesus, I can focus on his what everything darkness and chaos around me. So something you've talked about, and they have a question here that, all right, so it's the question of temptation, sin, and forgiveness. So why is it difficult to forgive? But you have actually taught us even this past week, where am I with temptation? Where am I with sin and forgiveness? How can you Talk about this um, question so that our writer here of this question, Paul, and others, every one of us want to know about that. Temptation, sin, and forgiveness. What is it that a person who is walking by faith in King Jesus, I'm trusting him, but I have a temptation or I have fallen in sin, which some of our brothers and sisters can relate with them. How do I give forgiveness and receive? Yeah. So I want you to know that God never tempts anyone. So God does test. He tests the strength of our faith. He does not tempt us to sin and to displease him. Yes. Okay, so James chapter 1. James chapter 1, and James was the half-brother of Jesus. Now, why was he the half-brother? Well, <laughs> because Jesus' father was God not Joseph. Joseph was was his earthly, basically, like stepdad, be, because Joseph and Mary, uh, they did not, uh, you know, co- you know, kind of consummate. They they didn't have intercourse mm-hmm. and have Jesus. No, the Holy Spirit came upon Mary, mm-hmm. and she conceived and gave birth to Jesus. Well, then after Jesus is born, then Mary and Joseph they uh, are fully and officially married, and then they start doing what married people do, yes. and then they had other kids. And so one of the kids that they had was James. So that's why he's the half brother of Jesus. And so, and this is just actually one of the uh, just a just another reason why we believe in the reliability and the credibility of who Jesus was. Because early on in his ministry, his family did not believe. Mm. They thought he was crazy. <laughs> like, I mean, you know, he claimed to be God. Well, so what would it, you know, what would it take for you to believe that your sibling was God? Well, 
For James, it took the resurrection. And so Jesus died on the cross, was buried, and three days later, he rose again. And guess one of the people who saw him, guess who he was? James. James saw his his half-brother Jesus risen from the dead, which then he believed became a leader in the early church and even wrote an epistle. And so we have James. Here's what he writes about temptation. He says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Now, so so again, when you're tempted, temptation is not the sin. Yes. Even the desire element is not the sin because you got you got a progression here. You got a process. You're tempted, then you have this desire. Now this is where you need to start having the the spirit of God, and maybe even you know if there's if there's other brothers and sisters that speak into your life, and you're telling them, man, I'm, I'm being tempted. I'm having this desire. Have other people pray for you, speak into your life, like because again, the desire has, is not the sin. You have not engaged in it yet. And so, but but if you if you follow the progression, it's tempted, desire, then sin. Yes. Okay. Now here's what the Apostle Paul writes in First Corinthians chapter ten. He says, "No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man." So so again, he's saying that yes, as as a believer, yes, there is a lot of temptation out there, but no temptation has overtaken you, has overpowered you, except what is common to, to, to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way of escape so that you can endure the temptation to until it subsides. Yes. Okay, so what does that mean? Well, now, because we are a believer— so we have we have confessed our our our, our faith in Jesus. We have repented of our, our of our sin. Like we no longer want to live our life yeah. the way we want to live. We want to live our life the way Jesus wants us to live. So again, that's that change in mind. So so there's this confession. There's this repentance. When that happened. Jesus sent his Holy Spirit. So we, we believe that there was one God, three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So when we confess and repent and we place our faith in Jesus, he's going to send us his Spirit. So so his Holy Spirit now has been deposited, has been imputed into us. And so now we have this new nature by which God has given us as a result of Jesus' death and resurrection. Mm-hmm. Now, the reason why the Apostle Paul can say that, that there's, there's no temptation that is common to man that has really overpowered us, that God has provided a way of escape, what's the way of escape? The Spirit of God. God. Now, what we're having to learn now, you got to go back to the exercises, yes. right? Yes. We are learning how to exercise being controlled by the Spirit, yes. not by the flesh. Yes. 
not by our sinful nature. And that is a learning process. So mm-hmm. again, like if you look at how how many mistakes we made mm-hmm. as a child, as an adolescent, as a teenager, maybe as a young adult, mm-hmm. maybe you, you, you guys kind of are, you know, you ladies, you're understanding. We, 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 have, we have the proclivity because we have a sinful nature of making mistakes, of, of sinning, which has consequences. But because the Spirit has been imputed into us, has been deposited into us, now we've got to learn through spiritual exercises how to live by the Spirit and not by the flesh. And so that's why the Apostle Paul can say what, has, what God has put, put in us, the Spirit of God, is now giving us the power as we know how to, to come underneath the power of the Spirit, Amen. which ultimately is a surrender to Jesus. But as we're learning how to do that, we are now being able to put 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 temptation in the rightful place where we we can recognize we're being tempted, and we can now surrender ourselves uh, to the Lord and and tap into the power of the Spirit inside of us. So mm. that's how yeah. you, you know again that when you you look at how do you deal with temptation and sin. Yeah. So that that's how you deal with temptation. But how do you deal with sin too? Because we're not perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pastor Gus will tell you, I'm not perfect. Me too. <laughs> yeah, so so we we are – here's the beauty of the gospel. So positionally, we are perfect, meaning that when God looks at us, he doesn't see the filth, the mess, the brokenness, and the sin. Guess who he sees is there, Pastor Gus? Jesus. He sees Jesus because of our faith in Jesus. Jesus, Yes. So now our identity, who we are, is embedded in Jesus. So that's why positionally we are where Jesus is. Now, where is Jesus now? At the right Right hand hand of God. God. The right hand of God. So, so I mean, this is what's so beautiful about the good news of King Jesus, that through his death and resurrection, he has made us new and is making us new. So positionally, we are right there next to Jesus. So when God looks at us, he sees Jesus. That's positionally. But then there's this idea of sanctification. There's this process, right? So positionally, we're in Jesus. In a process, we are being conformed and molded and shaped more into the image of Jesus. Yes. So, so now when we are, when we sin, that's why we need to confess. Now we are not confess, if we're a believer, we are not confessing after we sin to be resaved. Mm-hmm. Well, we are recognizing that was sin and we are what we are calling renewing the relationship that we already have with Jesus. Like, Man, I'm I'm sorry, you know, uh, just kind of like you would do to a good friend of yours if you wrong them, or what you would do if you have a spouse. Like, there's been a lot of times where I had to tell Joni, "I'm sorry," and so that that's what confession is. I, I recognize what I did was wrong. I, I I confess that, and then you're you're inviting the Holy Spirit into your life. Will you help me? Uh, will, will you give me the power? And so. The thing I want us to know that when we do fall, when we do sin, uh, that there is obviously forgiveness, there's grace. That's why I love Romans 8, 1, Mm. where Paul writes, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So, so, So even if we have sinned, 
and we have done something that is displeasing, that is disobedient to our Heavenly Father, to our King, yes. there is no shame, no guilt, no condemnation because we are positionally in Jesus. Mm-hmm. Now, some people, they... They they might want to take that and go well then I can just I can just sin and I you know man I'll pull out my sin card I mean if I'm you know if I'm positionally if I'm positionally in a place where God doesn't see my sin and He just sees Jesus and I'm just going sin 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 okay okay no. well here's what here's what the Apostle Paul would say shall we continue to sin so that grace may increase by no means we have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? So this is, once again, this is just another way of looking at our relationship with Jesus. So when we when we confess Jesus as our Lord or our King or Savior, and we repented and said we wanted to have a change of mind that and a change of heart, like we, we don't want to continue to live life on our own. We want Jesus. We, we want the life that Jesus has for us. Mm. You entered into this incredible, beautiful Re, re, kind of relationship with Jesus. And so why in the world would you want to continue to do something that hurt the one that mm. you love mm. and that loves you? Mm-hmm. You wouldn't. Nope. So that's where, that's where you know, the, the, when we do sin, it should bring about, you know, a, a, like when I say a, a, a godly sorrow, where like, man, we, we don't want to hurt Jesus. Mm-hmm. We don't want to hurt people that, that, are made in the image of Jesus. We don't want to hurt the the community of faith. We don't want to hurt our brothers and sisters. And so anything that would hurt God, hurt others, we, we should be, as a Christian, broken. And so we should easily confess that. And we, we, we go on. And we, we use that to allow us to continue to depend on Jesus, mm-hmm. to depend on to, to depend on the Holy Spirit to give us power so that we might grow in our understanding and maturity of letting Jesus live through us. So that's how we deal with temptation and sin. Yes. And I think that's what should be our daily walk with Jesus, that we know that he loves us. We can stop temptation, but if we fail, we confess, we repent, he will forgive us. And we too can forgive others. Now, how can you encourage my brothers and sisters in this area of all of these things we're talking about, your calling, your purpose, how do you know God has given you this place where you are, you're serving, you talk about temptation. How can you encourage our brothers and sisters, surrender to God? Yeah. That wherever you are, right now listening to this, how do you encourage us to be surrendered absolutely to God? Yeah, so I would really encourage you to know that God truly does have a purpose, and, and yes, we all, we've already said that the the purpose for for us as as human beings, and then obviously as Christians, is to glorify God, to reflect His glory in all spheres of life. But but as you're in this season and you're thinking about the the next season, okay, what what is it that God has put in you in terms of a passion and a love and, and a conviction and, and a desire to to do something? Because then that's where you start honing in on how in your career, in your job, in your vocation, and I'm, I'm kind of using all three of those words as as synonyms: vo- vocation, career, job. 
that you're really starting to try to think through how has God gifted me? What are the skills that he's given me? What what are the loves and the passions that he has given me to do in the world? And I want to use those in a way that would bring him glory and that would help others, right? Mm-hmm. So in this season, you really are thinking about that. And this is where Northland, we want to be a help. And obviously, we have people that, that uh, serve uh, you all, that, that bring uh, a, a ministry to you all. And then whenever you're thinking about the next season, we want to be a help mm-hmm. uh, in, in any way we, we possibly, you know, possibly can. But I, I kind of leave you with, with this from Philippians chapter 1. And, and here's what Paul, the Apostle Paul, here, here's what he writes. He says, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Because he really saw the the church, which is comprised of brothers and sisters who have repented of their sin, mm. professed and confessed their faith in Jesus. So so they, he sees every brother and sister as a partner in the gospel. So so he's so I, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And so I really want you to know that that even in the season that you're in, God has not forgotten the good work he's doing in you. And I don't want you to forget the good work he's doing in you. Because we truly believe, as the Apostle Paul says, is that he who began a good work in you. Now, that doesn't mean that there might be, that doesn't mean that there might not be detours Mm -hmm. in your life, difficult seasons, seasons that lead you into more of a wilderness to, to contemplate. And so, so I want you to know that he who began a good work in you, will carry it out until the day of completion. And so God's not giving up on you, so do not give up on the work he's doing in and actually the work he wants to do through you. I can say amen to that, and I very encourage if I was in any of these positions, sitting here with you in the studio or being with the friends in an institution, I am encouraged that God is not done yet. Yeah. And so I thank you for that and talking about your calling, your choice of life and the chaos that people have been in, the purpose of life, our, our surrender to God. Pastor Josh, you've demonstrated this so well, that, but I'm going to have this as a final question okay. you may have. You've demonstrated what the question is, but you may have to explain it. Okay. How do you develop your unique style of teaching and preaching, which you just demonstrated here? But maybe you need to tell us, how do you develop that? Well, obviously, this format's a little bit different yes. than the format on a weekend. Mm-hmm. But it is interesting that somebody would point out that my preaching style is unique. Because, yes. I mean, I probably would say it is unique from is. most uh, preachers and, yes. and, and communicators. But but three particular things that I would say go that 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 go into my unique style of preaching, and I would say probably anybody's yes. style of preaching, and that's that's your personal self, mm-hmm. be, because I mean what you see is what you get, <laughs> um, and then your personality, yes, 
because again, your your person and your personality they they, they are almost like two sides of the of the same coin. Yes. But I have a personality, yes. and like for instance, a, a, you know, my personality is one of an uh, of an achiever. Mm-hmm. Like I like to ch- achieve things, and so therefore I have a list. Yes. So I'm a very logical person. Yes. So if you look at my how I structure my message, it it it's very logical, and there's almost like a there is a framework to it, and there's lists, yes. you know. So point one, point two, point three, you know. So so that's kind of my personality and how it bears into my delivery. But even just my 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 person, like I I, I love to you know, man, I love life. I'm very like I'm very competitive. So uh, Pastor <laughs> Gus knows how competitive I am. So a lot of times when I get really animated and passionate that's just just really who i am like i i'm i'm that way and so you you got your your, your personal elements you got your personality and then professionally yeah and so because I want to be a really good communicator. Now, I'm not trying to compete with anybody. Mm-hmm. I'm actually trying to develop how God has wired me and shaped me and who I am. I'm trying to look at how professionally I can become better. And so when when I do that, one of the books that has really helped shape my communication mm-hmm. is called is a book called Talk Like Ted. And it takes all of the, the 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 most downloaded and viewed TED Talks of all times, yeah. and it breaks down all of the elements that made them hmm. the most memorable tag, TED Talks. So, like, humor would be one. So I wouldn't say, like, I'm the, the, the funniest person on planet Earth, but I try to use humor to my advantage, sometimes dry humor. Sometimes if I could throw up an image, like, <laughs> you know, that's funny, I, you know, because I want to use humor. Yes. Uh, also visuals. Yeah. So whether it is a picture, yeah. whether like we have like two types of living rooms on stage right now, we have a messy living room and a very put together, well ordered. Like those are illustrations uh, that 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 are physical illustrations that can live as examples. And so um, also I try to use the English language to my advantage. Mm-hmm. So if I can yeah. if I can create a, a catchy main yeah. point. Yeah. Uh, or if I can do a catchy principle, mm-hmm. uh, like, you, you know, when I think about court, bef- you, you know, so court while you sort. So uh, <laughs> date to mate. Those are easy. Like, th- those are just easy little pithy comments that you can, yeah. you know, just help people, help, help to communicate, right? Uh, then if I can create points that, uh, you know, that are easy to, to remember, mm-hmm. um, you know, maybe they start with the same, same letter. I, I don't like – so – that's again. That's a professional mechanism of how you're trying to use the the, the English language to communicate uh, in in a way that that is memorable. So so those are the three things that go into my unique style. Uh, uh, like an- another thing that I learned in terms of unique professional. So I, I read another book years ago. It was called Amusing Ourselves or Ourselves to Death. Again, not a Christian book, but. It was talking about how over time, yeah. uh, even movies changed into how long each scene was. Mm. So decades ago, there you you would probably notice that there were longer conversational scenes. Mm-hmm. Over time, every scene in a movie got shortened because people's attention span had shortened. Uh, yes. So now the average movie frame is 17 seconds. Hmm. 
Hmm. So so movies are constantly moving, like frames. They're constantly so that you might see a conversation that lasts a minute or two, but the frames how they how they show that conversation is is changing, right? Yes. So so for me, I know that I preach a little bit longer than maybe some, you know, so so 45, minutes, yeah. you know, 45, 47, mm-hmm. maybe 50 minutes sometimes. Mm-hmm. But now I have a TV screen, I have a stool, and I like to get up. So now I am constantly moving. I'm constantly moving physically. Mm-hmm. Slides are constantly moving. Also, I vary my voice a lot. So sometimes I'm going to come and I'm just going to talk to you. Then there might be times I come and I elevate my voice. And like so, so the entire message is constantly reframing the message in so many different ways to bring about a holistic, comprehensive message that tries to drill down one point. Yes. So again, that's a professional mechanism where I've learned. Yes. How how communication has changed. Mm-hmm. I understand that you know people's attention span might be a little bit shorter, but I've really tried to create a teaching style that's constantly moving, so that so it will attract people's attention. I love that. So for those listening, you just had a great lesson on how in preaching and teaching our presentation that Pastor Josh does for us. And we are the beneficiaries of it. You can go back to this message today. You will see all that personality. The person and the professional has been demonstrated. I'm going to read the scripture that Pastor Josh encouraged us with, and then he will close us in prayer. Is that okay? Absolutely. So Philippians chapter 1, I'll read verse 3 to 6. I thank my God every time I remember you, and we do that, friends. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of our partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that God who began a good work in you, we carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So thank you again for listening to us. I hope these questions answered will deepen and expand your faith in Christ. Pastor Josh, pray for us. Well, brothers and sisters, it has been a joy to actually be able to bring you this this format specifically for you. Uh, so I hope you know that this is just one one of the hopefully many ways that you feel loved by Northland. And so I, I basically end with a prayer and a benediction coming from Numbers chapter 6. May the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you this peace, this this total shalom, this total flourishing peace that surpasses all understanding, that guard our hearts, that also propels us to live for the glory of King Jesus. We love you, brothers and sisters. Blessings. Thanks for listening to Extra Takes. Be sure to follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts so you won't miss a single episode.